How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis in the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And this is a mailbag episode, and this wonderful mailbag episode is brought to you by our friends at SeatGeek. Use the new promo code LONBA. Again, our new promo code is LONBA for Locked on NBA. And you can use that at SeatGeek to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and use that today. And like I always say, if you've already used our old promo code, the new promo code, if you've already used all those, you know what, just go to SeatGeek anyways because you're going to get a great deal on tickets by heading over to SeatGeek. So go check them out today. Frank, it is mailbag time. I don't, I don't think there's any news that we we really need to get to I, I think we can just hop in right yeah i mean I, i've been kind of keeping notes people have been following my twitter account i've made some random comments um about things i've observed like for instance the brooklyn nets acquiring alan crab sneaky sneaky interesting from a bucks perspective because i don't know does that mean the the the, the nets might have made a run at tony snell if he, if he hadn't signed right away doesn't um, it almost seem very much likely. I mean, they're they're not that dissimilar. I think you maybe say Crab has a bit more scoring upside, but it's not like he really showed a whole lot of that last year. They were kind of in similar roles, like minutes wise, and he scored a little bit more. Um, both were really good shooting threes. Crab uh, was was great shooting threes, forty four percent. I don't know. Snell might be a little bit better defender, but um, it, interesting. Obviously, the Nets wanted Alan Crab a year ago. They paid you know, the full load of, of 2016 feeding frenzy, uh, price for him, signing him to an offer sheet. And then surprisingly, we're willing to give up, you know, basically to pay that amount this year as well. Obviously they did a, a mini salary dump of their own with Andrew Nicholson. But, um, I thought that was interesting that they, uh, they were, they locked up a lot of future cap space, which the other interesting wrinkle is that that takes another 18 and a half million, or I guess if you say the difference between Nicholson and, and Crab, another 12 million out of their potential cap space. And See, I don't, I didn't want to do that. That was the way Bobby Marks, I think he tweeted out today. Like that's the way that you could look at it, that instead of an 18, million dollar deal it's only a 12 million dollar deal it's like well i don't think you really should give bad contracts like those outs like that doesn't really seem fair to a bad contract like it's still a bad contract yeah and i mean 
Portland's doing backflips, right? I mean, didn't they reduce their tax bill like $40 million yeah, or something like that? Yeah. Um, you certainly, I, I certainly was surprised that they didn't have to give up anything um, to to facilitate that deal. And But I don't know, I guess that's just see something in, in Alan Crabb. Maybe they wouldn't have seen that in Tony Snell. So I, I don't know. I mean, we obviously, whatever, we'd like to glass half full say that the Bucks didn't overpay for Tony Snell. I, I mean, I still don't feel bad about the Snell deal. Um, you know, we saw the market for shooting guards kind of fly all over the place with the Tim Hardaway contract <laughs> and Alan Crabb apparently still being valued by at least one team um, the way he was paid a year ago. So, um, so that's interesting. And then I think the, you know, I think certainly from an incremental cap space perspective, Bobby Marks is looking at it. I think the right way, you know, the, the, the incremental cap hit is 12 million. Um, and for next year, I mean, the, depending on what Jeremy Lin does, he has a player option at twelve and a half million. I mean, the Nets might not have max cap room next summer, um, which you know I think from a paranoid what what happens to Jabari Parker perspective, if Parker does hit restricted free agency, is certainly I would expect. Um, you know, the Nets have always been kind of like the random team that you kind of like look at them and say like, would they be the ones to just like throw a crazy, you know, max offer at Jabari Parker and put the Bucks in a really really awkward situation and. Um, Certainly, you know, taking on that salary suggests that I don't know they're not they're not overly concerned maybe with opening up max cap room next summer. So I don't know. Anyway, not we, not, not to belabor that. To me, that was kind of the surprising thing. I, again, I know a lot of people are applauding what the Nets did, but the fact that they wouldn't have max cap room. And again, maybe you're not having max cap room isn't a thing for them because maybe they're just not going to attract them. But I don't know. I, I thought some of their moves were, were kind of interesting, like to go out and get Alan Crabb and pay for that contract, I guess, uh, especially since they didn't... I, I just would have thought an, an Alan Crabb deal, you'd insist on also getting a pick for taking that on, and they did not. But I, I, again, I guess there's a mini salary dump in there, and I, I don't know. I you, you, could, you could talk yourself into it, but I, I did... It, it, they're... Their method and kind of how they're approaching stuff is interesting to me. They have a number of players that are kind of interesting, but also maybe not at the rate that they're getting paid. And I don't know. They're just a weird team. Yeah, they're they're the Nets are a lot more interesting than they used to be. But when you look at it, like I know, I think I think I was listening to the um, the Sports Illustrated Open Floor podcast with with our buddy Andrew Sharp, and I think they talked about like you know with the Nets be able to make a play for Kyrie and then when you look at it through that lens it's kind of like uh, they really don't have like <laughs> they have at least some interesting stuff but they still don't have mm-hmm. much um but anyway let's get into Bucks talk we, we it took me literally zero seconds to derail our mailbag so apologies for that <laughs> um but let, let's get into some of these questions we'll start with a really easy one which I will I don't even know if you need to answer provide any color to this one uh, our, I feel like and we may have answered, may have gotten this question once before, but Eric Benning asks, how would a game of one-on-one go between the two of you? It would not go well for Frank. That's what I will just say. And to give people, I was thinking about this, Eric. My prediction is that if someone watched us go one-on-one, again, what? how old are you? Like 20, You're like 10 years younger than me, I think. How old are you? I'm 36. 27. 27. Okay, so you're in your you know still athletic prime. I'm, I'm fading fast. Ooh, um, I would argue I'm like, that I'm not, but yes, you're fine. <laughs> well, well, you were probably better at basketball in college, right? Because you, you did play um, you did play in college, right? You, you were at least, uh, you know. Um, so so y- you played at a much higher level. You're what, 6'2", I think, right? That is Something correct. like that? Yes. I'm like 5'10 and a half. Um, I don't know if you want to reveal your weight, but you have much strength and, and 
skill on me in both both <laughs> regards. Um, so I think if if we played on one one, it would look like I would look like a five ten and a half version of Ursan Ilyasova, just just basically doing like pointless like dribble in, step back, contested jump shots, and just trying to take like really sad charges, charge attempts all over the place. That would be, I think, my only way of, of just like, I'd just be like flopping all over. It would be like the worst of Marcus Smart and, and Ursula Lisova flopping. And someone watching would be like, that other dude, I mean, he looks like a 6'2 LeBron. Like that guy's just like trucking that other dude. So I think it would go really poorly. You've got skill, youth, and age on me. And and I, I just don't think it would work out well. I don't I don't know. I've, I I don't know if you want to, you know, add anything to that, but I, I think it would not go well. Yeah, I would say I'm like a half, <laughs> a half decade out of my, out of my prime, out of my basketball playing prime. Uh, I played for the first time in I don't know, like three or four months the other week, and felt really bad about myself. But yeah, I would destroy you. Yeah, you would. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, we'll start off with a, another fun one here. Uh, Ryan Conum asks, um, with it being its last season, what's your favorite memory ever? at the Bradley Center. Um, I'll give you a couple of mine, and then you can give a couple of yours. Um, Up there for me, I think, and and it's kind of weird, like I was in college during um, during the big run with the big three in 01, so I I forget which, I went to one of the East Finals games that they won. I don't remember if it was game six or one of the earlier ones, but I mean, that in theory, that's probably like the, the most important game I ever went to. I was not home for the first couple rounds of that that uh, playoff series. Um, and I just remember that I remember coming back just for games that year around Christmas and Thanksgiving and stuff and just being like, whoa. I mean, the crowd, like the bark board, anybody went to those games. You remember the bark board, like just the, the, the noise in the arena was just crazy and sort of just on a different level back then and it was just a really amazing time i think to be a bucks fan just because the crowds were really terrific um i think it just like really kind of point in time um awesome moments um i'd say i saw andrew bogut's game winner against the spurs i I think that was his rookie year second year um it was when kukoc threw that like inbounds that bogut kind of shot shot in one motion that was pretty incredible um I also I also was there the home opener with a ton of friends from college or from business school actually who were in town from Milwaukee. Uh, many of them for the first time we went and saw the home opener. I don't know if that was what year that was, but it was when Brandon Jennings against the Cavs hit that buzzer beater. That was really fun because I mean it's a buzzer beater. Um, so I don't know those kind of jump out, but I'd also say uh, the Hawks series. I came back for games three and four when they won those two games. And the crowds were really incredible for those games as well. And so that was that was a ton of fun to kind of come back and and see the Bucks. You know that year when they had the fear of the deer run, um, everything kind of you know at its peak. Um, and then I don't know. The only other one I, I did see Giannis's uh, thirty nine point game against Washington last season. So that was a ton of fun because that was just that's my token. You know Giannis just going nuts uh, game, which was a lot of fun. So I don't know what what kind of stands out to you. You've been to obviously a lot more Bucks games in recent times than I have, but you're also younger, so maybe you didn't get to enjoy some of the the early day stuff as much. Yeah, I think that's kind of the tough one. Obviously, in the last couple of years, there I mean, there's games that I covered like Kobe's. Kobe's last game in Milwaukee, though I'm not a big Kobe guy, like that was a really cool just event moment, uh, just a, just a cool night, uh, and that was obviously like a Giannis hug of Kobe, and just all of that hoopla was kind of a lot of fun. Obviously, the night the the Bucks beat the Warriors, that was really cool for 24 and one. The, I mean, the comeback, 
the the comeback in game six, even though it, they don't complete it, that's the I think that's got to be the craziest thing I've ever seen in person. It was it was just just total total insanity. Um, so those those would be my recent short list. Twenty ten. I'm trying to think. I had just gotten done with school. I drove up from St. Louis the day of, let's see, game, yeah, game six. Uh, that was the day Stackhouse sung the national anthem, right? I'm trying to think. Uh, <laughs> I always forget about that. I think it was game six. And I think that, and, and again, like the the crowd was wild that night. That was really a, a lot of fun. Uh, I enjoyed that one quite a bit. Uh, and then I'm trying to think of of other games that I went to when I was younger. Um, and we had, uh, I think our family like kind of split like a 10 pack, uh, a, a couple different ways. And when I was a kid, I had a, it was a Spurs game that went to overtime and it was, I think, I think it's the O one. O two season or maybe the O one or the 2000, 2001 season. Um, but both Tim Duncan and Dave Robinson were still on the team and it was just wild and fun. And I, I can't remember who tipped something in at the buzzer to send it to, it must've been the bucks or maybe the Spurs tried to tip something in at the very end. And then it got reviewed and they called it off either way. They went to review and then the referees either waved it off or, uh, put it through to send it to overtime and the BC just went wild. Um, so that was, that was a lot of fun as well. That's one. I, I kind of remember from my childhood as well. Uh, okay. Let's go to our next set of questions. And we have a bunch of like Kyrie slash trade questions, but I'm going to hold off on those for now. Um, what kind of season are you expecting out of Chris Middleton next year? That's from Bucks in six. Then this this will play <laughs> this will play into sort of the Kyrie questions as well. But let's just talk about Chris Middleton, assuming he is, you know, I, I would assume at this point he will be on the Bucks. But what would you expect out of Chris next year? So I always kind of have a running conversation about the Bucks going with our friends over at Brew Hoop and Eric Benning and Mitchell Maurer. And this actually came up today about can Chris improve? What does Chris improving look like? And uh, to me, I think the interesting thing is, what are you asking me about improvement? Like, is he going to improve from last season's Chris Middleton? Because I think that's almost a guarantee. Is he going to improve from the 2015-16 or the 2015-16 version of Chris Middleton? That seems a little less realistic, just because, uh, like we've talked about a number of times, pre pre-point Giannis in the 15-16 season, Middleton was their best player, and Middleton was kind of the the guy offensively. And that year he puts up, I think, 18-4-4 four and four with a steal and a half per game, great percentages, shooting, uh, especially from the three. And to me, I think, I don't think it's unrealistic that he can get back to that. That next season you could see him go again for... 18 points, four rebounds, four assists per game, uh, and maybe help take a little bit of pressure off those that point guard position, which we've talked about not being quite as good as it as it needs to be. So I, that's kind of where I'm at. I'm kind of thinking eight, 18 points, maybe not four assists, maybe only like three assists per game, four rebounds, 
one and a half steals per game. Like I, th- I do think that that's pretty realistic to imagine from Chris. Uh, and again, you could see that Middleton was a step slow throughout the playoffs, and really when he was back. And again, maybe that means he was rushed back. But I think at some point you just have to get a guy back on the court and and kind of see how it goes. So I, I'm expecting to see the Chris Middleton from two years ago. Is that where, where are you at? Yeah, kind of similar. I mean, again, I don't want to like say Chris can't continue to get better, but I think a lot of it is just, you know, around like shot distribution. Like I, I think the biggest thing that Chris could improve on is, you know, upping his three point rate, which we've talked about significantly. I mean, if he can stay close to 40% from three, which he typically does, um, but up his three point rate, you know, pretty consistent, considerably. Right. I mean, he doesn't have to necessarily even shoot, you know, you know, eight threes a game or something. I mean, I, on the one hand, I, I wouldn't have a problem with Chris Middleton if he if he was able to jack that many. I think part of it is, you know, the construction of the offense, philosophy of the offense that would have to get you there. It's not like Chris can just necessarily do that on his own. But, you know, per 36 last year, 4.2 threes per, per 36. I mean, for a guy who shot 43% from three, I mean, it's just like, dude, put up more of those. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and and the year before that, 39.6, 40.7. year before that, 41.4. I mean, again, he just shoots threes too well, too. Uh, and his trigger is quick enough that, I mean, there's no reason to shoot so few threes um, given how good he is. So so that would probably be the biggest thing for me is can he just improve that? Um, you know, fewer post-ups and, and more threes. Um, and, again, I think if he can just sort of be similar to what he has been, I think he'll he'll be very good. And, you know, even with um, people remember he put up 18 points a game two years ago. Um, when Jabari, Giannis, and Chris were all playing together um, after the All-Star break, they all averaged um, 19 points a game, like basically all identical average 19 points a yep. game. So, again, I mean, he can put up those kinds of numbers, even sharing the ball. And obviously this year he's not really going to have to share it with Jabari, but you do have Greg Monroe around. So, um, so I mean, it wouldn't shock me if he was in that 18 to 20 point per game range. But, you know, I think for Chris it's it's all about, you know, maintaining efficiency, trying to take a bigger role um, if he continues to move the ball. You know, he was right around his average in terms of like those like four assists a game, even last year per 36, if you if you average it out. So, um, so yeah, I think certainly something similar and hopefully a little bit better. But yeah, I don't think he's taking like a huge leap, um, and I don't think he necessarily needs to. So, um, why don't we jump to the next question? Um, uh, Espen Veda Skanes. Espen, I don't know where you're from. Maybe like, where are you from, Espen? Like Norway or something? Anyway, but Espen, Bucks fan. I know Espen's a Bucks fan. I've seen him in my mentions before. Espen asks, I'm starting to doubt that Giannis ever becomes a three-point shooter. What about you guys? Um, you go first. What do you think about that? I mean, I don't know if my doubts ever disappeared. I've I've always kind of had that that doubt. Um, and obviously you're always hopeful and hope that it can continue to get better. And you, I guess, think that, you know, if he gets the right people around him and they teach him the right way and you can make that stroke simple enough and it becomes repeatable that he could become a good shooter. But um, I, I just have never been particularly uh hopeful i guess right where would be i I just never really thought it would happen like i I think there's definitely a world where you can become a league average three-point shooter and that i guess that'd be more more than enough if on catch and shoot threes he can become that uh that's more than enough but yeah i never really thought he'd be a good three-point shooter um but we haven't talked about this in a while where 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 where's your head out on this i mean if if he was league average you know 35 36 percent i'd be i'd be thrilled right i mean um if he was shooting that on three to four threes a game i think that would be incredible and 
would would add a totally different dimension to his game, obviously. So I, I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. Um, I mean, the irony with Giannis is, you know, he shoots 35% as a rookie, shoots his highest volume, I think, that year. Um, he, he shot kind of a little bit, maybe from the side a little bit. Um, but it's interesting because I think, and I think Sean Sweeney, it's interesting because I think Sean Sweeney's always been the guy who has worked with him on pretty much everything, um, despite yeah. the fact that they had Josh Oppenheimer as like otherwise their nominal shooting coach. Um, but it's always been kind of Sweeney, the guy who's worked with Giannis. And um, I think the progression was, I believe they worked on his mechanics after his first year. And I thought his mechanics looked good his second year. He became pretty confident from the mid-range um, his second year. I know he was, I think he, the last few months of the season, he was over 40% from mid-range. Yep. Uh, started to look more confident. More kind of like, you know, catch and, you know, just like a catch and shoot off a pick and roll. Not so much like off the dribble stuff. Um, and then they tweaked his mechanics again. And I don't know, it just seems like they, I remember asking about this and it sounded like they wanted to make it so that he, I could have sworn the rationale was that they wanted to make it so he was better off the dribble, but it seems like his mechanic, like it just seems like he he's kind of, I don't know. It doesn't seem like he's any faster. It seems like it's almost kind of slower sometimes. And like just the, the load up is, is just inconsistent. Um, I mean, again, it's not like you'd look at it and say like, Oh, the shot's totally broken or something like that. And the fact that he shoots free throws pretty well, I think indicates that he does have some natural touch, but um, I, I think it's just a lot of it's like confidence and, just believing, you know, that in, and I think it's partly mechanics, but, um, but I don't know, it, it, it's, it's tough, but I think even if you got into that, like 32, 33% range, um, I think that does make a big difference because like, I mean, right now, I mean, if you're under 30, you're, you know, one of the worst in the league, basically. Yep. Um, if you're in that low thirties, I do think it just sort of fundamentally changes how teams think about you. Even if, you know, again, the marginal value isn't like huge in terms of the, you know, expected points. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think he can get to that low 30s. I don't think he's going to be league average. Um, but again, I mean, look at a lot of great players. I mean, I don't think Kobe was, you know, really league average over his career. Westbrook has been a pretty poor three-point shooter. I mean, John Wall's been very inconsistent. Yep. Um, the main thing is just being willing to shoot it and, and hitting enough of them that, you know, people, people tr- you know, at least think you're a threat. So, um, so yeah, long story short, I think I, I don't have huge hopes for Giannis becoming a a good three-point shooter i think i don't think he's gonna become good at it but can he become respectable i think he can but again uh, at this point i mean it's one of those things like i mean it's not like at this point it's not like he doesn't practice it right like it's not like oh (laughs) you know oh he should he should spend this summer practicing it and then he'll be good i mean yeah he's gonna practice it but you know at some point it just has to happen um next question from jr andrews 88 the jabirat uh JR asks, any small moves you would like to see? Um, any sites examples? Cut GP2, stretch Haas, sign Jet Bees. Um, I, I would say... Do you know, it. Again, say it, Frank. Hey, uh, JR, you, you read my mind. I mean, again, like just to kind of free up a... Ro- you know, right now, obviously, they have 15 guys on the roster, um, and they're like, like 1.5, I think, over the luxury tax. So if you did stretch Haas and wave GP2... Um, you know, you could, I mean, to be honest, you could just stretch Haas and then sign one of those guys. You wouldn't necessarily even have to cut GP2, but I, know, I think we've kind of discussed it, you know, unless Gary, you're keeping him around in part just because he's a really like hardworking practice guy who might be annoying to play against. I mean, I think in terms of actually like what is his potential, I don't necessarily see a lot there. Um, like Quinn Cook got released the other day by the Pelicans. You know, if he cleared waivers, I would be happy to see the Bucks, you know, wave GP2 and, and sign a guy like Quinn Cook instead, just because I think he has a bit more 
at least some some pedigree as a shooter, uh, an offensive guy, which again I think is important for a team like the Bucks for reasons we've discussed ad nauseum. So, um, so yeah, I mean, absent trying to make a trade, and I think there are a lot of trades you could make. I mean, you could trade. You know, you don't have to do like a pure salary dump, which I think at this point we know is is not going to happen with Henson or, or Toledovich. But you could trade, you know, could you trade a Henson for a guy making slightly less money who maybe plays a better position? Like, I don't know. I mean, like we've talked about um, versions of, of Shumpert coming back in a in a Kyrie trade. Um, I mean, if you could do Henson for Shumpert, I don't know if the Cavs would want to do that, but he's owed less money long term and I think less money in the short term. So I don't know. Sure, I'd do that just because Henson's not going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, absent kind of like a move like that, like a simple move, um, I would I would say yeah. If you want to stretch Haas to get under the luxury tax, that's the only direct way to get under the tax. You can't just waive GP two. But if you stretch Haas, um, sign Jet. Hey, I'll be consistent. Give me give me my Jet. I'm happy with that. Um, Ian Clark, I think, is a guy. I'm sure you might mention. Um, he's still out there if you get him on a, something close to a minimum deal. I don't know if you can, but nobody seems to be talking about him getting real money. So um, so I don't know. One of, something like that might be interesting. We're talking about the best way to use that final spot, the best way to use maybe some guys on minimum contracts, and the best way to pay the minimum for any seats that you're looking for is, of course, SeatGeek. And all you have to do is head to the app, download that. It's obviously very user-friendly. We talk about that all the time. You can also just do it on your computer. You can go to SeatGeek.com. You can get whatever you need at those two spots. And like, like I said, you're going to pay the minimum because they go out, they search through all the other ticket websites, they find the cheapest tickets that you can find, and they put them all in one place for you, all on the app, all on the website, all in one place for whatever event that you're looking for. We can't talk enough about how cheap and how easy it'll be getting tickets at SeatGeek. Uh, So go out and do that. And the way that we can make it even cheaper and even easier is with our promo code. And our new promo code is L-O-N-B-A. Again, that's L-O-N-B-A. And how you use it is very simple. You download the app. You go to the settings tab. You go to enter a promo code. And then you enter promo code L-O-N-B-A. Again, that's L-O-N-B-A. And that'll get you a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. So go out and do that today and get yourself some cheap tickets from SeatGeek. Now, on to the best way to kind of use that, to make some small moves and use maybe one of those final spots, Frank. I mean, if we're talking small moves, you laid out all the ones that you can kind of do. I... I will, I guess, kind of reiterate where I'm at on GP2. I just don't think he's a fit for this roster. Not that he can't be an NBA player elsewhere. Like I do think that's very possible that he could be. But Milwaukee, I just don't see it. A guy, a guy that can't shoot and just, I just don't see his fit in Milwaukee. He just doesn't work to me uh, with this Bucks roster. So I would, I'd be totally fine with that, with not seeing him on the opening night roster uh and if you want to use that spot to sign jet i think that would be a great way to go about it if ian clark is still out there for the minimum i think that'd be a great way to go about it i would be fine with with any of those moves but yeah if we're talking small stuff i think you laid it out pretty well there yeah and one thing to note here from a cap perspective so um if you cut gp2 he's a he counts as a second year player so i think his salary is like 1.3 million if you signed a guy like jet in his place um again you'd have to also stretch Haas to get under the tax or make another move to get under the tax um but even though jets minimum i think is like 2.3 million um the nba actually in order to incentivize teams to not just 
uh, sign young guys, they actually pay for the difference between a second year minimum and the actual minimum that the guy gets paid. So, and that's also what counts against the cap. So if you sign Jet in way of GP2, for instance, you wouldn't actually be paying more from a cap perspective or from a practical perspective, even though Jet's minimum is is higher than a guy like GP2. So just a little bit of cap minutia um, in case anybody was curious about that. Um, Ian Hansiter asks, are the Bucks going to free up cap space necessary to get OJ Mayo back next year? Hashtag the return. Uh, and my friend Andy, stage banter guy at Twitter Reprise, asks, is OJ Mayo missing? Which I think uh, the OJ questions respond by um, a report. And I, I Honestly, I didn't even read the story, but I guess somebody wrote a story today about like nobody knows where OJ Mayo is. And then like literally like a minute <laughs> later, uh, Ra- Rachel, our, our friend Rachel from Brew Hoop on the Brew Hoop account, pointed out that six days ago he was in LA working with um, working out with Taj Gibson, former USC teammates. So. And like that's not like the only one. Like there's multiple pictures of OJ or like reports of OJ playing in LA in like pro am games and it's like we, we're I very mean, we're very aware of where he is. Let's just I mean, it, it is true. I mean, OJ's kind of like been off the radar, right? I mean, like, I think a lot of people assumed he'd go play in China after the For suspension sure. last year, um, after his drug suspension. And obviously, like, you know, I think a lot of people with the team were concerned about him because OJ seems like a guy that team everybody with the Bucks personally liked. But he had, you know, he had stuff going on. And, and I think it was, you know, get it, getting getting. Um, suspended for a drug of abuse obviously is is a red flag for him personally right i mean you worry about him and and what might be going on um so best wishes to oj a guy that i know a lot of people with the team liked in spite of you know some of the problems he might have been having off the court also Um, he did the most disrespectful thing anyone i guess this side of lebron james has ever done to draymond green with that head like that head head tap oh my god that was it was so disrespectful and wonderful so i i i love oj for that yeah i mean old old man like uncle juice who didn't you know didn't give a shit and would go tangle with the Marcus cousins or Draymond. like that was that was a fun thing about oj but uh, yes oj mayo not coming not coming back next literally year. can't but literally literally can't yeah he's still literally can't. So. um canada bucks our guy willie armstrong asks if the 15 currently under contract is what we see october 16th uh who do you feel the four or five off the bench to start the season are um let's start I with mean, the I, starting lineup so yeah. it would be Thon at center, Giannis at nominal power forward, Tony Snell, Chris Milton, Malcolm Brogdon, right? That would yep. be that'd be where we would start. Right. Um, go from there. Yeah. So I mean, your your second best player last year, if you look at the aggregate season, uh, Greg Monroe, I, I think is your obvious. You know, you'd say he's he's your sixth man, especially because yep. Thon probably isn't playing. You know, he's not playing thirty five minutes this year. Um, so Greg Monroe is part of it, and then um, everybody's favorite backup point guard, uh, Matthew Delvadova, has to be part of it. Um, and l- let me ask you, so. I think one of the interesting questions, um, and and this question ties into something that James James Sports eighty eight asked: Is DJ Wilson taking over Beasley's role? How does this affect our bench? Um, I mean, what do you kind of see there? So, I mean, I, I say Delhi and Monroe are, are two of the obvious guys that are coming off the bench. Um, you know, Beasley got a lot of three four minutes. We saw Toledovich who's still around getting three four minutes. Um, who? Wh- what do you kind of expect will shake out there? Because obviously Mirza had us. You know, the 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 citizens of the archipelago were disappointed with his his struggles last year, but um, he is obviously a much more proven guy. We don't know what DJ Wilson's going to bring or you know what he'll be like. I, I don't know. What do you expect there? How do you expect those guys to kind of fit into the the next few guys off the bench? I guess the tough part here is obviously I think we often think of the bench as like nine or ten ideally, but Jason Kidd has largely 
not shown any problems with going to 11. I mean, some nights I think even as as far as 12, mm-hmm. like he'll go deep in that bench. So I mean, the active roster is 13, so we know that he'll go through. I think we've seen 13 in the first half of games. <laughs> At I, least no, I, d- I, th- I think you're right. So I, I think a lot of the it's going to be kind of the same way. I think Mirza is going to get, uh, I don't know what you're going to say, like a four-minute run or so, and I think DJ Wilson's going to get a four-minute run. And then... I would assume probably whoever plays better out of that gets some more minutes. Um, and I guess I also have to wonder if something similar happens with Sterling Brown and Rashad Vaughn or yep. Sterling Brown, Rashad Vaughn, and Jet, Sterling Brown, Rashad Vaughn, and Ian Clark. Like, whoever that grouping might be, I think you have to ask the same thing because in all reality, you don't have an actual small forward backup to whether you want to say Chris Middleton is your small forward or Tony Snell is your small forward. Like You don't have a true backup at that spot. You have Greg Monroe at center. You, I mean, you also have John Henson at center, but can't imagine he's ever going to play. So you have a backup at center. Then essentially you have two backups at power forward, and then you have two or three guys at shooting guard. And I, I mean... Again, I think limiting it to the four or five guys that come off the bench is just something that that's a construct that Jason Kidd doesn't really believe in, that I think he will go to 11 or 12, and then that means most of those guys are pretty much going to get a chance. And I I really do think it'll be the same thing, that from night to night it'll happen. And then, uh, again, if the start of the season comes around and maybe they don't think DJ Wilson is ready, maybe he gets taken out of that mix. Same thing with Sterling Brown. If he, they don't think the rookies are ready, if Rashad Vaughn doesn't show anything in, uh, I guess, the preseason and training camp, like if he doesn't look good, maybe he gets taken out of that mix. Uh, I think that would kind of be the way that they would go about it. And then maybe as the season goes on, whoever was out gets gets some chances from time to time. But um, very, very much the way I think Kidd approaches this is how he's always approached it. Like allow guys to kind of have that chance and give everyone some run. And as much as he says, this isn't CYO ball, go CYO and make sure everyone's getting some run and you keep everyone happy and you try to get through this season and find a month for those guys where they're hot or playing well. Yeah. And I think I want to say at summer league, Jason Kidd actually also said that it was like CYO ball. <laughs> I, I, I swear we, to God. We do go back and forth from it being yeah. not CYO ball to CYO To actually ball. being CYO yeah. ball. Um, so so maybe Bronson Canning will get a start at, at point guard this year. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, I think my my token, um, I, I don't know how controversial. I think I said this before that I, I, I'll pick Sterling Brown to beat out Rashad Vaughn for um, those sort of two, three kind of swing minutes. Um, so I think that'll be interesting. But, um, but yeah, I think that's maybe our, our roundabout way of saying – uh, it's going to be a 13-man rotation. Um, sorry, sorry, uh, Willie. Um, Eric J. Kaznia asks, "How much does does how much does you are not winning championship in the next three years matter? Do you aim for three years from now or all in to be slaughtered by Golden State?" So I think I think his question is so. Um, how much does the fact that Golden State's out there and you're not going to win a title in the next three years? I don't know how much does that change sort of your approach um, and. I, I mean, I'll I'll just say real quickly because uh, I want to get to these Kyrie questions and not, not spend too much time on this. I'll just say real quick. I don't think it matters that much because I think Giannis's window is so long that you're you should be building around Giannis, and there is no shortcut to winning a championship in the next year or two anyway. So I think you're building for 
a few years from now and you're trying to build kind of patiently and be opportunistic. But, you know, again, you're not trying to sign a 33-year-old guy to win a title next year. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, again, I think you're just trying to maximize Giannis long-term. I think you're trying to prove for the next three years that you can competently build a team that makes sense around Giannis Dettacumbo. Yeah. I, I, I think that, the, like, this is, I don't even know if I want to say, like, this is, I don't want to say this is an interview, but it's almost a four-year-long interview that, yes, Giannis, you can trust us, and we believe in you, and we're going to build things for you and we're going to build a roster that makes sense for you and you're going to want to stay here for five more years that to me that's all you're trying to do and again whether that means you need to win a bunch whether that means you need to be in the playoffs whether that means you need to have young players that will grow with you whatever whatever you think that means that's what you're trying to do so i do think that's probably a mix of both being competent, winning games, and being in the mix, and also having young guys that Giannis believes are going to continue to get better better for the length of his next deal after this four years. But that's really the only way I view it. And, and I've moved it to four years from three years, but that's kind of the way I view it. Like this, These four years, are you proving to Giannis that he should sign on for five more years? Yeah, Operation make Giannis want to take the Supermax in the year 2020. That's when he'll be eligible. Um, and if he doesn't take it that year, then I think then you're you're in a panic mode. <laughs> so um, uh, let's move on to the Kyrie stuff. And um, let me start with this one from uh, our friend Joe Osterndorf. He asked, why does it feel like our front office would never even consider trading for Kyrie in the first place? Um, I already tweeted my answer to this. Um, I, I actually think they they would consider trading for Kyrie. I think Same. the Bucks actually, um, I don't know if the word is quietly, but I mean, they tend to actually, from, from everything I gather, actually inquire every time there's been a star named that's been on the block. They have generally kind of poked around at it. Um, including again, this summer. Yeah, including the summer. So, uh, but again, I think typically th- they're also not willing to ship out a bunch of value for a guy that they know is not going to stay. So I think that might be, you know, again, as you mentioned the other day, Kyrie, not an expiring guy. He's not like a Paul George who, you know, again, is, is obviously likely to, to leave if you acquired him. But, um, but actually I think they would, they would consider trading for him. Now, are they going to you know, bet the farm on it and blow away all their teams that that might be out there that I don't know. Right. I mean, and I don't think they should. I think Kyrie's definitely, you know, a a guy that you might have, you know, buyer's remorse. You might have the winner's curse if you give up your entire roster to try to get him. Um, But that said, let's let's kind of get into some of these questions and maybe I'll try to group some of these a little bit because a lot of them get at the same stuff. Um, I'll start with this one. Um, Shane Moyer asks, what is the Bucks' most glaring weakness going into the season, in your opinion, and how does this apply to the Kyrie rumor storm? Um, I'll let you handle this one because this is sort of the tee-up, right? I think this is why our view is that the Bucks have to think long and hard about Kyrie because he does fit not just the Bucks' sort of positional, most obvious area of need, but he also, from a skill set perspective, does things that the Bucks really don't have anybody they can do those things yeah i mean i think this is the reason for the Kyrie rumor if the bucks were secure at point guard i don't i don't think anyone would be clamoring for it i don't think you would see zach Lowe and brian winhorse get on a podcast together and say that the bucks could put together a great package for it uh, i don't think you would see any of those things because there would be no reason for them to go after a point guard and to me that is positionally that's their greatest weakness and from, I guess, a more skill or technical base, 
shot creation and creation off the dribble is probably their biggest weakness. There's uh, I, again the Bucks put together an offense that ended the season what at thirteen fifteen thirteenth yeah 13th. Um, so they ended up being able to create an offense that that was above average even if it is just slightly and a lot of that is due to Giannis but uh, I mean if you look at kind of what happened in the playoffs and you look at the times that this offense struggles it's because they don't have players that can create uh, like uh, again we we talk all about all the time about the tough shot express well the tough shot express exists because those are the shots that Chris Middleton create can create because he's not quite the creator that can actually get to the rack that can get himself open shots and in the same way the fact that Giannis doesn't have a jump shot that makes it more difficult for him that if a team can kind of pack it in and the Bucks don't have all the shooting that they need on the floor they can pack it in and make it really tough on Giannis because he is still trying to do some of those other things so uh, I mean I think the Bucks weaknesses is almost the exact reason why this rumor exists and persists yeah and Let's um, let's look at this. Uh, let's take a couple questions we had, which I think get at sort of the the negatives, right, and the 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 counter arguments for why Kyrie is not a guy ultimately that you you would want to be the the winning bidder for. Um, uh, Matt at reasonably sober asked, why does a significant portion of the Bucks fan base feel totally cool giving up depth, defense, and shooting for Kyrie Irving? Um, let me see. Uh, Thrill Scott th- underscore Thrill asked, we've seen teams unable to get equitable star returns on star players traded. Why does it feel like the Bucks would give up too much for Kyrie? Um, and uh, let me see. Were there any other ones that kind of fit into that more negative uh, negative view? Um, let's, let's kind of stop there. So, so what is the, so, and, and I think those are really valid questions because I think the thing we always struggle with is, and, and sort of the paradox here is that you can make a good case that Chris Middleton on this Bucks team, even just Chris Middleton by himself might actually help you win more regular season games than Kyrie Irving, which feels kind of crazy to say on some level, but I, I wouldn't reject it out of hand, right? I mean, we have a lot, especially the advanced metrics. Totally agree. Take say Kyrie is somewhat overrated or, or fairly overrated. I mean, I don't think their metrics that say Kyrie is like an average starting point guard. Like he's, he's good. Like he's very good. And as you, as you pointed out, like the things he does in terms of being able to create shots, be an isolation scorer. I mean, his shooting off the dribble from three spot up three. I mean, he's great, right? I mean, he's not a Derek Rose who's, who, you know, even peak Derek Rose. I mean, he can do things just sort of all around game offensively. That I think even peak Derek Rose couldn't just because he can stretch the floor so well. Um, and especially with Giannis really being, you know, an above, a below average or average isolation guy at this point, not being a guy who, and again, you hope that that can continue to develop, but you know, right now that's, that's probably not Giannis's strong suit being like an end of game guy who just goes out and creates shots. Um, Kyrie kind of adds valuable things there, but um, you're obviously giving up, trade-off so uh i I don't know i mean i I would say i would say the the best answer to that of like well why would you potentially give up a big package first off this is the fundamental challenge like how do you get to a point and can you get to a point where you're you can get be the team that actually wins the bidding for Kyrie? and this only happens if you know lebron and management in ohio feels like they have to make a move um, and, and again, maybe they can kind of walk some of this stuff back. I don't know, but it certainly seems like they, they expect the deal to be done. Um, the only thing that can, the only way you can do this without giving up too much is I think 
other teams look at Kyrie and say, eh, you know what, our window, the guys we have to give up, like the Suns have to say, we don't want to give up Josh Jackson. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who, what other teams are out there. You know, the the Heat, they had, they would have to just not be able to put together a package maybe because they don't have enough picks and Justice Winslow is interesting to them. The, uh, the Knicks don't have, you know, maybe enough assets without Porzingis to really make a compelling offer, even if um carmelo is you know a banana boat guy with with uh, lebron um denver would have to say we don't want to give up jamal murray and gary harris because they're too valuable in our long term we just don't want to give those guys up so you'd have to see kind of these other teams probably just say like eh, you know we're also we just don't want to go full in on Kyrie, and and then you would have to hope that the bucks can sort of just get to just enough and or, I think, I think the, or the Cavs are really focused on pleasing lebron in that one right. year like finding guys that can contribute now and work for LeBron right now. Right. And I think I will use another question, which we got late. And I apologize. I know a bunch of people kept asking sort of after we started podcasting. So we're just not going <laughs> to get still a lot of people. In. They're still coming in, even though I tweeted out that we're, we're not taking any more questions. But um, our, our dear friend, Steve Von Horn, I think asked a question that gets to the heart of why the two of us, in Ooh, spite of feeling... One. In spite of the fact that both of us agree Chris Middleton is underrated and Kyrie Irving is overrated and what I just said about maybe the, the, you know Kyrie not even propelling the Bucks on his own to more wins in, in the regular season, um, Steve asked a question that I think gets to it, which is he says, will anyone other than Giannis on the current roster ever make an all-NBA team, any all-NBA team? If not, is that good enough to compete for a championship? And I think, unfortunately, my answer to this question is no and no. Um, yep. I, I just, I, I mean, maybe there was a world, maybe you could convince me that Jabari had some scenarios where he could be an all NBA guy before the injuries. Maybe those still exist. I, I just, I'm so spooked by the double ACL and the defense that, I mean, the bar for being an all NBA guy right now, especially at the forward spots is really high. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's crazy. It's really, yeah. It's really high. Um, and, and so it's really difficult and the, the bar at the point guard spots, I mean, Kyrie is a good example, right? I mean, Kyrie's made one all NBA third team. I think he didn't make it last year. I think the year before, because there are just so many damn good point guards. And so I'm not saying Kyrie is a top two or three point guard right now. I don't think he is. Um, but I think he could be an all NBA point guard in the right situation. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I don't think it's necessarily like completely out of reach with Kyrie. And certainly not compared to, you know, Chris, who I just, he's not ever going to be an all-NBA guy, I don't see. And I don't see, I don't think Thon has the offensive skill to ever be an all-NBA guy. And, uh, you know, other than that, I just, I just don't think there's going to be on it. So, so yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of one of these things. And I I tweeted out last night, some of the the Bucks splits um, last season, you know, the Bucks finished the season, I think, what, 2011, 2012, they have this really hot run. Their point differential was like barely a 500 team. You yeah. know, I mean, there was a lot of, I think, smoke and mirrors and how good the Bucks were down the stretch last year. And that's why I'm still nervous, even if they make no moves, that people are going to start getting carried away with kind of 50 win whatever. And again, I think they should be a much better defensive team than they have been. Um, I think they can be a good defensive team, even if they acquired Kyrie Irving, um, you know, especially given how point guards are probably the least essential piece of of a, a defense. Um but uh, but but yeah, I mean, I think that's really just the the what what gets to the heart of the Kyrie trade sort of discussion for the Bucks is if not, you know, if if you're not going to go after a guy like Kyrie, which other you know who are you going to pursue? And I think there, you know we had another question. Um, where was this question? Um, 
Uh, Joe Osinger also asked, besides Kyrie, um, are there any other P- PGs that have proved they could be the legit number two guy behind Giannis that also fit his timeline? Um, and Ryan Connor asked, which current potentially gettable superstar slash near superstar would you think fits best with Giannis? And, and this is the hard part. It's like, what is gettable? Like, <laughs> gettable is, is not gettable, a real right? thing. People don't want to give right. that up. Right. I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, we talked about like potential Chris trades even before all this came up. You know, we talked about like, could you maybe make a play for Bradley Beal? Could you maybe make a play for CJ McCollum? Um, I mean, maybe. Right. But those guys aren't actively on the market. You know, those, those guys you're not going to get for. I, I don't know if those guys you could get for a better deal than than Kyrie at this point. Um, you know, I, I, it, it's it's really hard. Like guys just guys in, in Giannis's sort of age bracket and at 25, I think Kyrie certainly qualifies guys just don't become really available and, and especially situations where a team maybe feels obligated that they have to make a move. It's just a, unique I was going to say, so because of that question, I did this quick basketball reference search and I looked up guards or guard slash forwards last year that averaged more than 10 points per game. And I would think if you're trying to get into Giannis's age bracket, you need to be, at the point guard position, what, 23, 22, you could go down as low as. So I'm literally going to read off all these guards. This is going to be a long list, but I I think it kind of should enlighten the just the belief and idea that, that this isn't all that easy. From 22 to 26, does that, is that fair? Cause I was is that be- the age, that's the age range you're looking at? That's the age last year. Okay. All right, so we'll start at 22. Marcus Smart, Alfred Payton, Gary Harris, Buddy Heald, Yogi Ferrell, Josh Richardson, Dennis Schroeder, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Bradley Beal, Jordan Clarkson, Austin Rivers, Rodney Hood, Evan Fournier, Victor Oladipo, Malcolm Brogdon, Alan Crabb, Tim Hardaway Jr., Tyler Johnson, Kyrie Irving, Brandon Knight, Deion Waiters, CJ McCollum, Reggie Jackson, Avery Bradley, Will Barton, Drew Holiday, Seth Curry, Ricky Rubio, Clay Thompson, Kemba Walker, John Wall, Damian Lillard. Now, from that list, how many of those guys did you think, oh wow, that's an elite point guard or shooting guard type that could play next to Giannis? I would assume not many. Well, anybody could play next to Giannis, but is anybody going to move the needle, right? That's the question. And and are any of those guys, you know, especially if you're if you're thinking that as we've been saying, it's got to be a Milton centric package to get Kyrie. Is there something similar? And I don't know. I mean, it's like McCollum might be the only guy that like there might be a gettable that he that might be gettable just because mm-hmm. of the questions around his fit with Kyrie or with uh, Damian Lillard. Like, I think Damian Lillard and Chris Middleton make a ton of sense together. Um, and and Chris is also a lot cheaper than than CJ McCollum, but. McCollum's also locked up for the next four years. I mean, that's a huge value yep. in terms of his asset. Um, granted, he's paid a lot, right? I think he's he's making more than Giannis. Um, you know, he's in the, like twenty three to twenty seven million prior reign, I don't know, something like that over the next four years. So, um, so he's not cheap, but um, but that might be kind of one guy that you might say. But again, like, is Portland looking to trade CJ actively? I don't I don't think so. So, so yeah, it's just it's hard, right? I mean, like and, and one that's, that's like problem. of those guys that I listed, there's probably only six to ten of those that you really thought like oh yeah that would be awesome to have that guy next to Giannis and then of those six to ten none of of them other than Kyrie are on the trade block because 
why on earth would you trade a guy that you believe like that is that good? And then as far as gettable, like maybe what three or four of them are gettable? Like it's just really difficult to try to find someone like that um, and to see someone that again whether or not the Cavs want to trade him, but that is on the market because he wants out. So um, I think that's a big thing, and I guess the. The thing that I've been kind of bothered with the last couple of days is there's always stuff like, oh, Kyrie wants to take the ball from Giannis, and you got to take the ball out of his hands, and he's only going to be here for two years, and why would you want to give up all of this to get him? And I guess like when I when I see a question like, why does a significant portion of the Bucks fan base feel totally cool giving up depth, defense, and shooting for Kyrie Irving? It's like, well, one, you're not giving up shooting. And two, depth and defense. Like I want to ask, why does a significant portion of the Bucks fan base feel totally cool being mediocre? Like <laughs> th- this wasn't a like. Am I? Am I? Like I don't think that's a crazy question to ask. This isn't a fifty-win team. You're not giving up a championship core. There's no evidence to this point that this team is a fifty-win team, even if you want to use the the sample size that you related to because it certainly seems like there was a lot of luck post all-star break when they got as hot as they did so like there's no reason to believe that this team should win 50 games next year and there's there's just again like it's safe it's much safer to let these guys grow together and to you know, just roll it out and make sure Giannis feels comfortable with these guys because he played with them as long as he has, and, and maybe that'll be the way to bring him back. And that that could be true. But there's just also like, the the sacrilege some people are viewing this with. Like, just I, I don't understand it. Like, the, cl- the clear reason why you would do this is to take a chance to win a championship. Because as Steve's question gets to, there's not another all-NBA guy on this roster right now. And, and as much as I, I, certainly I like Chris Middleton, you like Chris Middleton, a lot of people like Chris Middleton, like that's that's not getting you over the hump. And we kind of saw the reasons why that's not getting you over the hump in the playoffs. So I, I think that kind of bothers me. And then also the, the question about is Kyrie two years, like why could he leave? And I think we got – a question like that. I'm trying to think who asked that. Um, Hakan Thor asked, is it wise dealing Milton for a superstar point guard that still plays mainly in Northeastern Ohio uh, who may or may not bolt after two years? Well, Middleton and Brogdon are up in two years. And again, do you think they're going to bolt? Probably not. But is signing both of them to a large portion of your salary cap in two years a good idea? I don't know. Malcolm Brogdon will be entering his, what, age 27 season. Chris Middleton will be entering roughly the same, maybe age 28 season. Do you want to pay for those years? Are they good enough to be paid for those years? Do you feel that confident in those two guys to be the guys that are going to help get Giannis to the promised land? Uh I, I think those are all questions that need to be asked, and it just seems to me like there's – there's two paths right now in this conversation. Like one, you trade some sort of package of Middleton and Brogdon for Kyrie Irving, and the other, you don't trade for them 
and one is viewed as a treacherous path. You're going through the woods. It's going to be really scary. There's going to be all these things that could pop out, maybe carry bolts, all these different things. And then the other one, I don't even think people view as it's like a it's like a school zone road. That's what people view it as. Twenty five miles per hour. That nothing could possibly go wrong. Everything is wonderful. And there's just a significant amount of risk if we're talking about winning championships to that road. It might be a school zone, but it's the, that school zone is leading you to an abandoned school that hasn't been worth anything, that hasn't been open in 10 years. <laughs> like That could be what that school zone is leading you to. Like There's just no risk associated with that move to most people, and it, it just really bothers me because there is significant risk to it. Like That team might not be good enough and to this point would suggest to all of us is not good enough yeah and let me so I, i'll challenge i'll challenge one aspect of that i think the bucks i think there is a scenario where the bucks can win 50 games next year um now you know again is the team we saw is that because of what oh, we saw wow. at the end of the year that that's not and it's not because of them going 20 and 12 or 2011 or whatever the record was um you know after chris came back that is, i'm not saying it because of that but I do think that the team has a ceiling. And, and Chris is, you know, you look at Chris's on-off numbers, even though the team was not great, the team's defense was not great, even with Jabari gone. Um, the starting lineup had very good numbers with Chris. I think you have a nice combination there of guys playing off each other with Thon stretching the floor, Tony Snell being in a very good role for him. Chris, obviously, we know what he can do. Um, and Malcolm Brogdon kind of getting, you know, better as the season went on. Uh, and, of course, everything being held together with Giannis. But I think it's not I think guaranteed, the Bucks, though. No, 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 certainly not. And, and I think, you know, really, really, if the Bucks to be a 51 team, I mean, so much of that is still like Giannis just being incredible and Giannis being incredible again, in some ways, you know, if that if he's if he's propelling you to 50 wins, um, that's awesome because it confirms again that Giannis is incredible. But it, it really I don't want to say it doesn't do anything for your title hopes, but Giannis needs help and Giannis carrying yeah. You know, a roster that that has some really nice players, and and Chris Milton is legitimately very good. Um, some of these guys fit well around him, like Thon. Um, you know, elite role player type potential there. But but I, I think you're still not you're, you're not really any closer to being a title. And again, the cruise control argument, you know, the 25 mile per hour zone argument, like you can't just sort of sit tight and then you know sit back and and contend for a championship, no matter how good Giannis is, because there's you know. The Warriors might get older, but like there's always going to be some team that has somebody close to Giannis and then one or two other guys who are better than certainly what the Bucks project to have now. And so I think that's the, the, the compelling thing. Like, Do you go for it or do you kind of just try to not go for it, keep guys that you think you can retain and be, you know, at, at peak, you know, yeah, I think eventually you can become a 50 some win team, but maybe you're never really going to compete for a championship. Um, and, and there's something to be said, you know, I, I, I do think there is a, an, a, you know, a championship or bust mentality that I think is yeah. somewhat misguided around sort of NBA fandom and NBA Twitter. Like I think especially in I'm Milwaukee. totally cool with a bunch of 51 seasons. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if that is, I mean, if you told me right now, the bucks would win, you know, an average of 50 some games and make it to the, you know, East finals at some point, maybe not ever win a champion, never win a championship. I mean, I wouldn't say like, yeah, sign me up for that. But like. I bet that would be a lot of fun, especially compared <laughs> yeah, to what we have. I mean, really yes. you know, like the Bucks. I mean, you you can have fun being a consistent contender who never gets over the top. Now, that's not what you're going to aim for, um, but I think you just have to be realistic. Rolling the dice on a guy like Kyrie, and again, you don't just 
give away i mean i'm not giving away two unprotected picks i might not give away one unprotected no, pick. No, no. um you have to be reasonable um and you have to get lucky and hope that other teams that would have better packages just can't make an offer that is as compelling for for Kyrie um but i think you at least have to look at it really seriously because yeah i just i just don't think you're you're good enough otherwise and i think as we were talking the other day you know i think the the can you use Kyrie and Giannis together to try to lure another star i think that's another kind of key piece of this and you know as you're talking about you know again i think your your odds of keeping Malcolm especially he's going to be a restricted free agent in in 2019 certainly you have you control his sort of um, next contract, um, Chris. You don't. You could potentially extend him next year if you had some. Ca- if you created some cap room, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think again, you're probably going to pay the same amount. I'm guessing for those two guys together um, as you would for Kyrie on his own, which you know is what it is. Like I think you know again, I'd 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 probably prefer Kyrie over both those guys if I knew I could keep them. Yep. But I think also if you reach out to Kyrie's people and trying to do a deal, and he says like. F no, I don't want to go to Milwaukee. Screw that, I'm going to be pissed. Yeah, then you say pass, right? Yeah, like, for sure. Um, and, and not that he's going to say like, oh, I'm definitely thrilled to do it. But if he's, you know, again, if the Bucks are the fifth team on his, I, I, if you can make, convince him that that it's a good situation, then um, I think it is a calculated risk that uh, that you really have to think long and hard about. And even if he says, you know what, I don't know if I would love that, as long as he's not like, hell no, never Milwaukee. I would assume you'd think, you know what? I think his his tune's going to change playing with Giannis Dedekumbo for two years. Like, I mean, we're t- Giannis is a top ten NBA player, likely a top five NBA player in the next little while. And yeah, like I think I think his tune could change um, if that would be the case. That it, as long as he's not like, no way in hell am I ever going to live in Milwaukee for more than these two years. Then okay, yeah, that's that's not the move to make, but. As long as it's not that reaction, I would say that risk isn't really anything more. Because sometimes guys say stuff like that and then go to that city, play with some really talented people, and get into a spot where they say, you know what, Milwaukee's really cool, and I'm enjoying winning 50 games every year and being on a team with this this other great talent. Again... Maybe that's just not how Kyrie's ever going to be wired because he's currently turning down playing with LeBron James. Um, but also, maybe if it's a little bit closer to top billing or top billing with Giannis, then okay, maybe maybe he's cool with it. Yeah, I mean, so much of this of us of our pro pro inquire about Kyrie uh, uh, sort of mindset is is based on the assumption that he's not sort of the worst version personality wise of what. Yes, it could be could be true, right? I mean, yeah. if he is like a guy who has to be in a big market, or like he's all about his hashtag brand, and you know he wouldn't want to play with Giannis, and he'd want to leave because he wants to go to someplace glitzier to you know be able to sell more shoes, then of course, yeah, then we're wrong. Like you, you don't want to roll your dice on a guy like that. Then going twenty five miles per hour, keep doing that until you have a better opportunity to improve the team. But I think the question is, you, th- those are the questions you, you should at least ask and try to figure out. And you know, there are ways you can at least maybe get maybe get somewhat of an answer. Um, I, we've kind of tiptoed around it, but maybe one last round on the Kyrie stuff. Um, Travis Schlepp asked, "Is swapping Kyrie for Middleton slash Brogdon move the needle much this year, or is it more of a move you make to position for next offseason?" Um, Woo! Tr- that's tr- 
that's the question to ask, Travis. Yeah, and True Golden Eagles asks, what would be your expectation with the current roster versus trading Middleton, Delhi, Brogdon, and first for Irving? Um, obviously, similar kind of sides of of, a, of sort of the same basic premise. Um, I think we've kind of answered it, you know, in terms of obviously, I think some of this some of this is really about the long term. You know, do, how do you take? Um, and again, I know some people would argue this, but how do you take? maybe some lesser assets and concentrated into a higher upside asset. Um, I think part of that certainly is uh, trying to, to think more long-term and, and then hoping that your second star helps lead to your third star. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, what, what would your expectation be for next year? I mean, you already talked about not thinking this is a 50 win team next year. Um, I don't know. What's your, what's your bet? If, if, if some form of the Kyrie trade of Malk of uh, Brogdon Middleton um, happened, uh, how does that change your win outlook for next year? I think I think it's going to stay pretty similar. Um, I think what the Vegas over under is around forty six right now. I'm not one hundred percent sure on that. I think that's where the number is. That feels about right because uh, again, you're gonna you're gonna miss Brogdon and Middleton, but I mean, I think you have people that you think are competent stepping in. Like it's not like those guys are leaving, and you don't have the rest of your roster like again you don't have a chris middleton you don't have as guy a guy as good as chris middleton and you're not going to have a point guard that can step in and be as good as malcolm brogdon but if you make this trade and it's a multiple pieces trade all of a sudden you open up a roster spot you sign ian clark do i feel that much worse about ian clark than malcolm brogdon mm, not that much worse so, like, you can still recover some of that other stuff there, plus have someone at the point guard position that's actually worth a damn. So, you can, I, I do think it would maybe stay very, I think it would be pretty similar. Um, and maybe bump up a little bit. It probably doesn't bump up. It's probably around that same spot, 46, 47. Yeah, I would say it wouldn't change that much. Um I might I might actually have the bucks a little lower. I might might be more in the kind of 44 45 win projection. Um but again, I think especially defensively, I think they have much higher upside than what we saw from them last year and again, I'm going to be pissed off all season if they're not a top 10 defense like especially with Jabari hurt. There's sure. just no reason this shouldn't be a good defense. Yeah. Um, and again, if you traded for Kyrie and you got rid of Middleton, then okay, that that hurts your defense. But um but I think the fundamentals, the the kind of building blocks are still there. Um so, so yeah, I don't think it changes much. I do think, and this kind of gets at sort of the paradox of Kyrie and, and Chris, I do think your odds of winning a first-round playoff series go up just because I think having that kind of late-game killer uh, like Kyrie, who yep. you know has proven at the highest level, he can just go off and win you an NBA Finals game. <laughs> or he can go off and, you know, against the Boston Celtics in the East Finals, just go off for a half and just win you a game that you looked like you were going to lose uh, against the Boston Celtics. So um, so I think you're, the variability that Kyrie brings, that volatility in terms of outcomes, uh, I think works in your favor in a playoff series um, in a way that, that wouldn't necessarily necessarily translate into a ton more wins in the regular season. I was going to say, that, to me, that's big, like he, his game plays better in the playoffs. Right. Like the things he's good at are more necessary in – uh, I guess just more needed in the playoffs than they, than they are in the regular season. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's kind of finish Ooh, up. No, we didn't get yeah. to Travis's no. question. Uh, we said it and then didn't talk about it. And I think it's huge. 
does swapping Kyrie for Middleton Brogdon move the needle much this year, or is it more of a move you make to position for next offseason? To me, we discussed it a little bit the other night, but that's the big thing. At this point, I don't know if a free agent, again, I don't. I, we don't really know how other superstar types view Giannis. Um, we don't know if that would be enough on its own, but we do know that Giannis is from Greece. He's not from the U.S., so he, he doesn't get to kind of make all those connections on – he didn't get to make any of those connections on the AAU circuit. He doesn't get to make them at Team USA. Like He, he doesn't really get to, to know these other guys that well. So he doesn't have those things. So there's uh, less there's less less room on the banana boat. Nobody nobody why, nobody <laughs> wants to invite the Greek guy into the banana boat. You know yeah. where's where's the love? Yeah. So so that stuff doesn't exist right now. And again, we both love Chris Middleton, but Chris Middleton isn't going to Team USA stuff. Chris Middleton doesn't really have those type of connections. So uh, to me, the recruiting again, this is all anecdotal and totally totally speculative. To me, the recruiting becomes a hell of a lot easier if it's Kyrie and Giannis than it is Giannis, Chris, and Malcolm and Thon. Uh, I just look at those two, and that's a spot where that third guy says, oh, okay, I can fit in with those two. I I should go to Milwaukee because we're going to do some winning. Um, While... Again, maybe there are some people out there that are like, man, Chris Middleton is just so tough to play against, and uh, he's been he's been so great for the Bucks. But I just don't know if that exists out there. Yeah, we'll see. Um, next question, um, we've kind of hinted at, but um, True Golden Eagles asked, "What do you think Middleton's price tag will be when he opts out in 2019? Do you think we should trade Middleton for younger players now?" Um, this is this is really tough. I mean. Trading Middleton for younger players who are not going to necessarily help you right now, I think this, this is actually kind of dangerous because especially in operation, make Giannis's next three years as happy as possible. Um, we know Giannis values Middleton a lot, um, and Middleton makes Giannis's life easier right now. So I think trading him for younger players who are not stars is potentially problematic. But um, I don't know. Where would you put Chris's over-under? I've got a number in my head, a nice round number for his over-under on his next contract, assuming he, you know, I think we, we were talking about probably maybe close to the guy he was two years ago. Where would you kind of put that number? Man, this, I was thinking 20. 20 was kind yeah. of where I was at in my head. And like, like I said, I mean, we one, I would tell True Golden Eagles to go check out our Middleton pod where we discuss possibly trading him uh, because I think we discuss a number of these things but paying for Middleton's next contract from ages 28 to 32 I I don't know that I'd be super excited to pay for that Um, again maybe it works out and again Chris isn't like a jump shooter or anything like that so he's still going to be able to hit catch and shoot threes but you do wonder if uh, again he's not a all world playmaker but he's a solid playmaker and he gives you that help on the on the fringe so if he can't get by guys anymore 
even even to the point he doesn't do that a lot right now. But if he if he really can't get by guys, uh, I don't know how if you want to pay that four year eighty million dollar deal for Chris Middleton. When and when you say he's not a jump shooter, you mean literally he doesn't jump when he shoots. Right? Correct. Obviously, he's clearly a jump shooter. His jump shot is isn't fantastic, uh, but he doesn't really jump. Right. And one other thing about this, I think if you were to get Kyrie and if you if Jabari if you kept Jabari, um, I think then man next summer becomes so critical to figuring out what you do at Jabari Parker. Cause I think one putting Jabari Parker out there with, um, you know, again, Kyrie and Jabari being not great defenders <laughs> charitably in Jabari's case. Um, <laughs> man, that is uh, that is a tough call. I think, I think having Kyrie makes Jabari even less essential, even though they, you know, don't play the same position, obviously. Um, so I think it maybe puts even more, uh, more emphasis on figuring out a way to, to monetize Jabari in some other way other than (laughs) paying him a ton of money. Um, although it's interesting, I I wonder what, I don't know, I don't know what Jabari and and Kyrie are like in terms of their friends. Um, they are both Nike guys, they're both Duke guys. Um, they might be pretty friendly. Everybody loves Jabari, right? But, but I don't know that, that obviously is, is a really critical thing because next summer it would obviously be your one big chance to try to improve the team and and win over Kyrie and prove to him that you know he he should stick around and and resign the following season um yeah I was gonna say Middleton price tag man 20 million something like that um I think it'll be interesting because I don't want somebody's other shooting guards sign for the next couple of years Tim Hardaway <laughs> Tim Hardaway not helping because uh, Chris <laughs> is definitely a lot better than him um what happens with Greg Monroe this year and what can we project for Snell after his great playoff run that's from Chris Wooden who has a great handle at slow Dumars. Um, I don't know. My, my quick take on Greg Monroe and Tony Snell, I just assume they're going to be like something like last year. I, I, the Bucks will perpetually be rumored to be moving Greg Monroe and they just won't. And Tony Snell will be fine. Maybe shoots a little bit worse from three, but um, I don't think you see him making a big leap. Um, but I think he'll be a, again, solid. It's kind of role playing starter, especially with Jabari hurt. And I, I don't even know if, I mean, this point like if the bucks are playing well with that formulation like do you really throw you know jabari into the starting five with tony uh going to the bench i don't even i don't necessarily think that even makes sense i had a look and see what his great postseason was um because i was i was a little bit thrown off by that and i guess for snell it is great compared to the regular season but uh 10 points per game the big thing was 51% from three. Um, and obviously he had some big shooting games from three during the playoffs. But uh, again, I think it, to me, it, I don't really imagine much more than what you got out of Tony Snell this year. Uh, eight and a half points per game, three rebounds, an assist a game, some steals, and 40% three-point shooting. I, I think that's the big thing is if that three-point shooting can remain in a, in a similar spot, can that percentage continue? Uh, that would be the big thing for me, and I don't really expect it to go down or, or really change all that much. And I think the th- same thing for Greg Monroe. He'll be the Bucks' sixth man. Uh, he'll be able to get them some buckets at times when that second unit is struggling to do so. And, yeah, I, I, <laughs> it's not it's not great but to say, but pretty much what you 
what you got from them last year. That's what I'm expecting. Yeah, past performance, best guess at, at future performance in this case. Um, and who knows, maybe by deadline time, maybe they'll do figure out a way to move Greg Monroe's contract. I mean, you know, you know, we've talked so much about Kyrie deals and not really mentioned Monroe's thing at all. I mean, maybe... I don't know. I, I don't know if the Cavs really want to get out from under some long-term money. Maybe you could also give them some value by trading Monroe for I don't know who in long-term salary. I mean, I think they would probably rather have Tristan Thompson than Greg Monroe. Still, um, I would think so, given the way you know Thompson projects in in the playoffs versus way Monroe would. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know. Until future notice for further notice, I just feel like Greg Monroe is going to be here until he leaves next summer and. <laughs> That's sort of way it's going to be. Yeah. Um, let's do maybe one more question since we've gone on very long. Apologies to everyone we missed, but thanks so much for for the interest in the questions. Um, BJ Dreyer asks, "Do you see any way Horst uh, Horst can dump any of the Henson Telly Deli deals and get out of long term cap jail?" Um, I would say a straight dump, no. Um, and I wouldn't want him to if it means again attaching assets. Um, could you know? Are there, is there some formulation where? either as part of a bigger deal or maybe even not as part of a bigger deal, you could move one of those contracts um, for another contract that maybe is if a guy who fits better, that's possible. Um, I don't know who it would necessarily be. I mean, I mentioned, you know, Shumpert for Henson. Sure. I'd do that. Like if the Cavs want a big man who can block shots yep. um, and they don't really value Shumpert, like I'd probably do that. You, I think shave one year off your obligations um, in terms of contract duration and, you know, maybe Shumpert provides some more value than a guy who's not really going to play much. Um, but, but yeah, I don't think you're going to necessarily see any of those contracts moved. And I think especially with Delhi, I mean, we've talked about, it. I don't think the bucks are desperate to move him. I think if they wanted to move him in a deal like that, they could um, not a, not a straight salary dump necessarily at this point, but, um, but if they just wanted to move Delhi for a shorter contract, I, I, I think they could. Um, but I think, you know, they also see use for them and especially sort of from a, a glue standpoint. I would totally agree. I think there's a number of teams around the league that would trade for Delhi. as much as Bucks fans, uh, get annoyed by Delhi and his shortcomings. I think there's a number of teams around the league that'd be willing to trade for him. And yeah, there's not going to be, there's not going to be a dump. Like there's, I just don't see how you're going to get rid of one of those contracts without attaching a first round pick to it. And that sounds awful to me. To- <laughs> just not at all worth it. Uh, so I guess the short answer is no, but yeah, I guess if, if there's two teams that have undesirables and maybe in one situation the undesirable is a little bit more desirable somewhere else and the contracts are kind of close and maybe the bucks can shave off a little that way i think that could possibly happen uh probably henson would be the one i guess just because as we've talked about like you can attempt to talk yourself into rim protection and things like that with henson uh so maybe if some team believes that they need some of that in want to give up someone on the wing that can make some sense for the bucks but yeah i don't see a straight up uh a straight up cap dump with any of those all right i think that's it for us mailbag done it's been fun let's do it again soon also there's way too many questions uh as we were going i think we filled up another mailbag uh so shout out to all you guys for being awesome and giving us this many questions and shout out to our friends at 
SeatGeek for sponsoring today's episode. Again, the promo code LONBA. Again, LONBA for Lockdown NBA. Use that promo code, get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. All right, this has been a lot of fun. We've had a good time. Both of us need to change our TVs and get ready for the Gold Cup final, U.S. soccer trying to bring it home uh which i don't even know should i should i be embarrassed about my u.s soccer fandom should i be no proud of it hell proud no of it? I'm, yeah. I'm gonna go put on my my clint dempsey jersey i was wearing it when he scored the other night i'm gonna wear it now game day man my wife always makes fun of me when i wear my clint dempsey jersey when the u.s plays but this is a this is a soccer friendly podcast um and okay. I don't know, maybe maybe we're going to get some like bad bad iTunes ratings just for saying that. But, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, the only thing is like you just, you're just always disappointed with U.S. soccer. Like That's the, it's the, it's the kind of battle you have to fight, which I guess as Bucks fans, we've been prepared for this. Uh, so we fit right in. All right, uh, go USA, go, go, USA. And that's going to be that. That's been a podcast. That was Frank. I'm Eric. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you later. Napa know It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 103117.